Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Austin, it has been a hot minute since I've seen you on here. We uh, we skipped last week. I, I will be the first to apologize to our listeners for uh, letting them down of not posting uh, an Austin and Brad conversation. So uh, to the listeners, we apologize for that. But uh, man, it's good to see you. Absolutely, dude. I love how we hype up just you and you and mine's conversation, and then we just talk. right. It's like going in the ring. It's like uh, woohoo! Yeah, and then uh, just totally bail out on it. Don't say anything on social media. Don't let anyone know. We just continue life like it was just. <laughs> yeah. Well, for for me personally, these are fun. I enjoy these. These uh these ultimately well, we we have gained some momentum with this, and and from for my, you know, my little learning how to do this podcast work. It's these end up being fun. Every time oh, yeah. I get on this with you, we end up chasing a rabbit down a, a hole that ends up being pretty fun. So oh, yeah. well, where, uh, where you been, bro, man, first off, I, I do have to say it is fun. Uh, we even got old Ben Pearson to, to say that he liked doing it. And if you can get him to, to like doing more work, then it must be fun. Right. That was good. Yeah. That was a good one, too. Yeah. He's so smart. Oh, absolutely. But uh, last week was interesting, man. I was in California. Uh, I went to a conference. Uh, it was for family stuff, but uh, the majority of the conference was focused on uh, patient safety and, you know, what hospitals do, how they treat people found some some staggering statistics and so these these are all available via Google so it's nothing new here but uh I think I told you the other day man it was crazy one in four patients that go into the hospital are actually injured by the hospital while they are there in one way or another that's that's that leaves me a little bit speechless actually staggering say that number say that number again yeah one, one, in, one four. in four at 25% right that is a very scary statistic because that is so high you got to think uh, how many p- people are in a hospital at one time 25% of them are getting injured by the hospital by the hospital so I'm sure that ranges from anywhere from a accidental you know oopsie to doing like irrev irrevocable damage irreversible damage or death i mean that's yeah that's probably all encompassing but you know i read a book um i've referred to a couple times here but matthew walker's book why i sleep why we sleep uh he references in there that the medical community is so sleep deprived that it it, uh, the data proves that they've had a, a significant impact on the patient care as a result of uh, that sleep. And so I guess all in all, I mean, that's, there, there is some crazy things going on out there about our medical community. So how was, uh, what, was there any positives that came out of the conference? Oh yeah. I I mean, so the, the cool thing was, is there was, there were doctors from across the world. I mean, from some of the best medical care systems in, you know, Europe to, you know, oh, wow. underfunded Latin America, Latin American doctors. Um, so it was cool to see 
what different countries are doing, some with universal health care, some with not. And, you know, the, the main thing, I mean, the goal of this conference was to help that number go to zero. That's, that's the reality. That's what that conference sure. is there for, is to help, uh, you know, people realize and bring to light some of these stories and some of these statistics and some of the things that are happening. So, you know, but the, the, the thing that I thought was the most interesting was, and I think that this is with anything, right? It doesn't have to be with the healthcare system. It can be with a, a retail clothing store. But the more money you spend on systems and backups and fail-safes, the less money that you actually have to spend on mistakes. So there was a statistic in there, and this guy was a German doctor that flew in, and he basically said that, you know, here's the cost per client if we're going to take this into money, right? And, you know, the average cost was something like, you know, $23,000 per stay. And that's for everyone's, you know, uh, paychecks, insurance, rent, whatever. Uh, $23,000 per stay. That's a staggering number as well. But when it was included in a mistake, it was something like, you know, $44,000 per client. And then he, he made that difference in, okay, if we spent X amount of dollars on fixing the system in each hospital, you're actually spending less money than you would on the mistake. Of course. I mean, it makes sense. You got business owners doing that, uh, out there, but Man, that's a that's a huge elephant to eat right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was wild. It, I mean, people's eyes get real wide when they see like the actual numbers in front of them. It's it's a scary statistic, but it's it just proves though that when you try and you know, not spend as much money on people to try and make it so that you can save save pennies, right? If you spent the dollars you save drastically more. That's, doing it that's right. life. Yeah, that's life. You're doing it right. Yeah, 100%. Doing it right. yeah. yeah, but it was a good, it was weird. It was definitely one of the uh, times in my life where I felt very stupid comparatively to the people in this room. <laughs> um, yeah. And There's it was smart people in there, huh? Oh, it was probably a collection of the smartest people that I've ever been in. 100%. Yeah. Like you could just, it's different conversations. It's different interactions. I mean, it was different. To, it was cool to see like a different population, how they interact socially because uh, we like got to go to dinners and, and other stuff and interacted with some of the people there. And I'm like, this is a different breed of person. Like these people are all so driven, so incredibly smart. And I felt dumb. I feel that a lot. I feel that a lot. I'm, I'm okay with that. That, uh, man, what a privilege to uh, get to be a part of something so cool. Yeah, and it wasn't, this wasn't work-related. This wasn't just your uh, average California conference. You're saying this is a worldwide event. Yeah, there was uh, people hosted. from the World Health Organization, um, you know, the FDA. I mean, there was everything under the sun when it comes to taking care of people's health. There was a representative there for it. That's awesome. But anyway. well, I'm glad you got to go out there. I think uh, I think we uh, I think we both just segued into a good uh, uh, lead for our topic today, which is uh, negative self talk. I think you and I both just 
I slammed that one home on purpose a little bit. I'm, uh, I like, I like self-deprecating talk. Um, but it wasn't that it hadn't been that long ago. Matter of fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago. I was hearing somebody talk about, uh, self-deprecating talk can actually have a reverse, um, effect on several different things. But what we're going to talk about today is the impact that it has on our, on us, on the person in the mirror, how the negative, uh, conversations that we have with ourselves, um, impact us on our daily day life. Yeah, it is. This is also another staggering number is that I read somewhere where first off, there's like 25% of people that actually just do not have a voice inside of their head. Like they don't think and they don't hear a voice the way that some people do. Right. And, um, the people that have that actually suffer less from depression, anxiety, all of those other things. Cause they're, they, they don't have that inside voice telling them like, what are you doing? Like they don't play golf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't get me started on negative self talk. <laughs> that is a no, but that's a that's a crazy statistic. Twenty five percent of people out here walking around don't have an inner voice yep. that tells them you just fucked that up. Yeah, you're you're going to mess this up. Your your mom hates you. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they don't have that conversation. Yeah, no, not at all. And and they actually suffer less than people like yourself and myself that uh, are telling ourselves that we're pieces of shit if we ever make a mistake. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. But to the other 75% that are sitting there with this voice, right? A lot of this stuff, this negative self-talk really impacts us. And it starts in childhood right? Like we, we make these beliefs about ourselves in whether we're unattractive or unintelligent, you know, there's a mole on our face that we don't like, you know, it doesn't, it can be anything. And we start at a young age telling ourselves that, you know, this is our, you know, bad characteristic, or this is what makes us ugly or, or things like that. Right. I saw an Instagram reel um, that that was a little uh, exercise in humanity where they uh, put uh, makeup that distorted the physical form of a person's face and they prepped them to go into an interview and they let them look in the mirror, they let them absorb it and receive the distortion of their face. And then right before they interviewed, they said they wanted to touch it up, but they removed it. And when they went in the interview, they came out claiming uh, bias uh, on all the interviewers. The interviewee said, oh, they were completely biased to my disfigurement. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a great example of what we tell ourselves that we're not worthy or we can't do this or there's something wrong with us. I think, you know, just a little Instagram reel, but I found it very fascinating to think, yeah, I could see that. I, I that that would resonate loudly that, you know, there's something wrong with me. I'm disfigured or something wrong with me. I can't do the job. Yeah. And then you look at the opposite end of that and you look at leaders, CEOs, executives, those type of people. There's not a lot of negative self-talk there. There's a deep mm -hmm. belief in themselves and their skills and their abilities to succeed. And I mean, that's obviously far end of the spectrum, right? The people that are really suffering, whether it's, you know, physical or mental, 
uh, and then the ones that are almost to a point narcissistic, right? Like I think it was, there's a, can't remember the exact number, but there's also a, a pretty high percentage of these high-end CEOs and executives have these nurse, narcissistic personality traits in order to be that successful and have that much drive and believe in themselves sure. that much. But then there's people in the middle like you and me, right? Like I will tell you, my negative self-talk is brutal. I get I get caught in that loop. I feel like it's a little bit of a loop for me personally. Uh, it's a it's a feed loop of I say something negative about myself, so I bring it to truth, mm-hmm. um, which feeds into the same conversation I have tomorrow, which I bring it to truth, which feeds into well, you're not worthy. Okay, I'm gonna act like I'm not worthy, and then I'm gonna tell myself, well, you're not worthy because you didn't act worthy today. So it's that that cycle of sorts. And, uh, yeah, for sure. That had a huge impact on my, uh, you know, my alcoholism and, uh, why that was one of the things that Chateau showed me was who are you? What is your, you know, recentering me back to my beliefs of who am I? And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell that story in a minute of the self-worth piece, but that was a major change for me. Um, of recognizing that Stacy and his magic is voodoo with, you know, the night and rusty armor piece. Mm-hmm. That's that night and rusty armor piece is all that inner child work, man. It's, it's all yeah. that work of you are worthy, right? A huge piece of that workshop in particular is about being worthy to yourself. You know, we focus a lot on the negatives and whether it's mistakes or, you know, whether it's our past, uh, you know, shame, guilt, all of those type of things. When we're stuck in that negative self-talk mode, we actually don't allow ourselves to validate anything that we do well, whether it's being a good mm-hmm. husband, wife, father, mother, employee, any any of those type of things. We don't allow the positive pieces to come in. And that's that's the part that takes a lot of work, right? Because you 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 can't sit there and dwell on on those negative pieces you have to allow your successes to come in and overpower those negative self thoughts that that reminds me of of uh, Brené Brown I was listening to one of her TED talks about uh some of this and that and the conversations that we have internally that prevent us from actually uh embracing and leaning into joy which is that being vulnerable piece mm-hmm. uh and we block that by just you know anticipating the bad or having conversations internally uh, within ourselves of you're not worth that. You don't deserve that. You're not going to have that. Uh, it's just not going to happen. I mean, all these conversations that are just uh, at times uh, paralyzing, you know, they just, and, and not a physical form of paralysis, but a, 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 you know, an emotional, mental, spiritual paralysis of, okay, I can't move. I'm just going to, Go to work every day robotically, and this is my lot in life, you know? Yeah, well, you succumb to that. That's the thing is, sure. is after so long of feeling a certain way, it is now just I'm going to feel this way for the rest of my life, and that's that. And sometimes, you know, a single therapy session per week or bimonthly or wh- whatever it is is not going to help you overcome that, right? A lot of people, when we're going back to some of these therapy sessions is they go into a therapist's office and they tell them about these negative beliefs, right? 
and then the therapist gives them tips or or tricks or tools to to help them overcome that but then they don't ever actually use them they just yeah you know they the go on application is lost yeah because this takes a lot of work and i think that you know being a cog in this giant world machine you can feel like an ant sometimes right like you feel like an insignificant person uh in the world in the grand scheme of the world and we tell ourselves that's that's where my self thought well it's where my my negative self-talk started really is me just thinking i'm insignificant and that what i do doesn't matter and you know the people that care or love about me don't actually really care or love about me i'm just kind of there and i'm a burden to everyone else right okay so we were we were bantering a little bit before we hit the record button on this what's your what's the fucker's name that talks to you inside your head <laughs> oh dude i already forgot his name bill yeah. you told me bill. his name was bill there we go so yeah. bill <laughs> I just got renamed at uh, my workout uh, place, and and uh, so I think I'm going to adopt that same philosophy. Uh, they renamed me Marv. I said Marv is the uh, that's a good that's a good name for the guy up in my head that I I'm going to dismiss frequently and say, yeah, I I I think it's important to actually identify that as to to what it is because we can get into this rut of of listening to this and we convince ourselves that there's a reality to it and you know there's a uh there's a clear um differentiation between uh how you're going to externally exhibit yourself and portray yourself if you're talking positive versus talking negatively in your head it's just the reality of it so you know for me i think uh um Going back to that knight in rusty armor uh, piece, that that taught me a ton um, about recognizing. Holy shit! I've been having these conversations in my head a long time uh, that I'm not worthy. Uh, and to your point, you know, the, the here's the tools. Recognition is only part of the process. Gaining the tools is only a small part of the process. But every day having these conversations with yourself about, no, that's not true. I'm actually worth something. No, that's not true. I'm meant for something. No, that's not true. Uh, I am loved. I am worthy. I'm chosen. Um, These are all things that I still practice today. It's part of my journaling in the morning. Yeah. And that's so to to give a brief background there. Uh, we were we were joking around re- reading one of the blogs that I had put out about negative self talk, and that's kind of how this this whole conversation started. And so I was doing research on you know some of the tools uh, to properly deal with this because it's so common, right? It's I think anyone that has that inner voice has some kind of negative self talk, right? And one of them is give your inner critic a nickname and then this will help to dissociate negative thoughts and feelings from you as well as give you some control over the situation. It can also be helpful to talk yourself out, talk to yourself out loud like you would a friend when giving your inner critic a nickname. And when I was doing that and researching that, I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't fucking work, right? 
and then actually doing it and joking about it and giving them the most ridiculous, you know, basic white dude name that I could possibly <laughs> come up with, it lightens the situation, right? Like, you know, it, it makes us laugh at these kind of things. Cause if I had that dude, Bill talking to me and, and all I can think in my head is like, shut up, Bill, you know what you're talking about? Like, come on. You know, that's, that's the kind of things that come to mind, right? And that's actually healthy, right? Like, that's actually, it actually works. And I was looking at tips thinking, this one's kind of ridiculous. But then we apply it, and I'm like, oh, wait, it actually works. It, it actually does work. Um, I, and I think uh, one of the other tips that in, in the blog that you have posted on there, that you wrote on there, was... Uh, Treat that conversation, uh, the voice, like you would be having this conversation with a friend. I've used this many times with people, and I've since uh, used this with myself. Um, if I had a friend talking to me like that, would I listen to them, number one? And would I put up with it? Uh, I mean, that's not a very good friend that would sit there and whisper in your ear all day, every day that you're not worthy and you're 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 not going to amount to anything or whatever those, you know, conversations that people have in their head, mine is, mine was worth, you know, uh, shame and guilt. And, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tolerate that from a, a friend. I wouldn't accept that language. I wouldn't accept that. You, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, but we tolerate that internally in our head. It's wild what we allow ourselves to say in our head comparatively what we would say to you know someone else right if so this is you know critique the question right that's one one of the tips as well which is like ask yourself for some evidence-based ideas of why this is true right so you know if a friend came up to me and said i'm a piece of shit i'd say here's 15 reasons why you are an amazing human being Here's why we're friends. Here's why I love you. Here's why your family loves you. Here's how your, you know, work or your profession, they depend on you. Here's how your children depend on you. Here's what you do on a daily basis for others. But we don't allow that, right? We don't, we don't critique our own head when they say, I'm a piece mm-hmm. of shit. In my head, I go, yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah. yeah I could handle it. You're probably right. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that and move on. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, right. And <laughs> that critiquing portion, right? Like, I'm I'm a very logic based thinker, which is why spirituality was really difficult for me for a long time. But that makes so much sense to me. So if I'm if I'm yelling at myself, right? If I make a mistake, and I'm like, okay, I'm a piece of shit. Well, okay, so you made a mistake. So let's let's go in deeper. What else? What, what makes you, do I treat others poorly? Do I, you know, hit my dog or what, whatever, right? Like if we're going that far, right? You know, you can ask yourself and critique and really figure out very quickly that there's a lot more evidence towards the opposite. And if there isn't that evidence, then maybe, you know, what you need to do is go talk to your therapist and figure out what you're doing and how you're behaving. And if you're aligning with your values. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a important piece and component here that that um not all this can be corrected just from you know internal thinking and changing a mindset there are aspects of um 
um, trauma and uh, various other things that actually are so impactful that they'll actually reframe and rewire the brain uh, to a negative or depressive state. And that requires therapeutic, uh, some type of therapeutic modality. Uh, EMDR, I know, is a great one for uh, survivor guilt. Uh, you know, that which survivor guilt ultimately is I could have, should have, would have, uh, done something different if only, you know, uh, it would have been me or I, I could have been there, or, you know, whatever the fill in the blank is there. Uh, EMDR does a great job of, uh, tempering that to where, uh, it lessens the impact of the event on you to where you can actually therapeutically process. Okay. That ultimately may or may not have been your fault, but we're going to deal with it, the reality of it. I think uh, also from a so social media, I think social media plays a part in this. I think, uh, you know, I don't think we should let social media off the hook in this conversation. Uh, I think you get on there and cruise around and I wish I was that, or I wish I was there or uh, <laughs> why can't I have that? Or, uh, you know, the news, this, or, you know, there's a, feel like there's a uh it, it's almost a, a spawn of something evil on there trying to separate people to where they feel disconnected uh more than they ever have and, and you know i you know i don't know i'm not an expert in the field but i i know you get off of social media and you're like holy cow i just want to go step on a nail or punch myself in the face you know yeah well and this is something I, i'm going to go back to the beginning of that statement and say the negative self-talk for me absolutely was a therapeutical intervention that helped me overcome those negative self-beliefs right now. There's a, sure. there's a um, kind of continuous work on it, right? Like you always have to be working on it and, and trying to better yourself because those negative self thoughts aren't, are always going to appear in one way or another. Um, what, whatever in life happens, it just, it's natural for me to have that. And Without the work that I've done, uh, mental health wise, I would not be able to overcome those. Those would still uh, control my life on a daily basis, like they did for a decade. So, hinting on that, yes, therapeutical interventions are incredibly important in this. There are some tools that we said earlier, but that's that may not be able to crack kind of that vault at first, and you may need, you know, right. a therapist or someone close to you, a spiritual advisor, chaplain, whatever it may be, to help help get that through to that at first. Now, sure. now we're going to go down the rabbit hole of, of a uh, social media. <laughs> so I'm going to, this is a real story, but I'm going to make up his name. We'll call him Mike. Mike lives a pretty good life, right? And he's a friend of mine, works in this field. And Mike has a great house, great family, bunch of kids, dog, everything, right? On the surface, it appears that they have, you know, the two and a half kids, white picket fence life, right? Well, Mike's wife is addicted to social media. Now, she loves looking at celebrities, loves looking at, you know, the high life, right? What all these people are doing that she is now missing out on. So what it has caused is, is and this can be on the male or female side, just happens to be sure, female here because I happen to know this person and it's a, it's, that story's coming up in my head, but. No one's off limits. Yeah. And it's caused tension in their marriage because she believes that they should have more. Uh, they should be doing more. They should be, you know, out every weekend on these trips and going these fancy places, these hikes, these fishing, whatever. 
and it's caused tension in their marriage. He's going, I live a pretty good life. Like I work 40 hours a week. I, you know, supply for my family financially. She works, she helps financially. Like we have a pretty great life. Now, they have not been able to overcome this challenge yet. They're working on it. His mindset is all this social media stuff is fake. Like they're, you know, the Instagram versus reality kind of reels that they do, right? Mm-hmm. Where they show like only the best parts of whatever thing they're doing. Oh, sure. or, yeah. You know, they they zoom out on the photo and it's actually like a crowd of like 10,000 people around them and they just happen to be the one there. But then there's also her side where he probably needs to feed that need for her, right, as well. So there's sure. both sides are, are possibly they, they need some work done. But I don't think that this was an issue 15 years ago, right? Like this is a, a relatively new argument in relationships, which is like I'm seeing all these other people. There's always keeping up with the Joneses. But to this extent, it is pretty new and it's damaging. So that's uh that's a whole other uh yes a rabbit hole there. I I'm I'm currently reading a book. Um it's taken me a bit to get through it, but it's called The Comfort Crisis where uh there this person's perspective is our discomfort our comfort has been is becoming a discomfort uh because we're not happy. We're not we're not satisfied. There's no joy uh and we've been given uh luxury and leisure items. Uh, to do this. And I think uh, one of the things that he draws out in that is that we're, we now have the ability to look left and right and say, and compare our lives to somebody instead of actually existing right here in this moment and say, I've got it pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've, I've got food, I've got shelter, I've got clothing, uh, I've got somebody who loves me, uh, I've got a family. Uh, these are all these are all things that are really good. Within that book, he talks uh, pretty consistently about, um, you know, we we just continue to elevate and escalate the standards by which we think we should be living. Um, when uh, and his argument to culminate into the book, and I haven't quite finished it yet. It's an awesome, awesome book. But he's basically saying, "Hey, shut your mouth and get outside. Mm-hmm. Go go do something hard. That will give you a better perspective on." Uh, the reality of what's going on in your life. Uh, and as to, to this point of the book, we haven't talked about gratitude, but I know personally um, I do a lot of gratitude stuff and that changes my perspective so so often when I, I just say, you know what, I appreciate what I have instead of looking over there and seeing what I don't have. Well, this goes, I mean, California is a great example of this. As I was there, we went to the beach um, one night and, uh, you know, I would say probably there was anywhere from 50 to 100 people really making their experience centralized on their social media. You could just kind of see whether it was videoing or photography or, or whatever, right? And then you had a certain group of people really enjoying the moment and being present and, you know, talking and conversating with people. And it was a two, it was a very stark difference. Uh, in in those two different groups. And to me, it looked like the people that were present and, um, you know, enjoying conversation were having a little bit more fun because, you know, these the social media influencers were really jumping here and there, getting a different view or, or what it, spending a lot of time getting that done. But it made me think, right? And it made me 
understand that like I don't have to live up to what these people are doing because I'm seeing behind the scenes. I mean, I live in Utah. We don't get that as many people doing that as in California. But it was very stark to me that like I'm going to sit and enjoy this moment because I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to make it look like I'm having a great time when I can just have a great time. There is a stark difference. There is a vast difference between uh, the perception of and the reality of. Uh, and, you know, for today, I think, you know, kind of wrapping this up, if you were to say, uh, you know, a lot of these negative self-talks that consume us, what would be Austin's take on, uh, you know, how we, what's the simple version of how we keep Bill quiet? How do you keep Bill quiet? Man, I stay present. Really, that's a huge one for me because I'm a future tripper. I really am. I don't, you know, I think a lot about the future and what issues there may be. I stay present and I stay grateful. Those are the gratitude lists, man, for me are amazing. If I ever get down, those are the, those are things that work with me. Like I said earlier, go to a therapist if you're really struggling with this and work on that first and overcome that first hurdle. But then it's the simple things. I mean, there's so many studies behind the mindfulness practices that say that this is just one very simple and easy way to have a sense of joy and happiness is to stay present and to stay grateful. Which, when you say it like that, it sounds really easy. It's actually really difficult. So I admire how how you say it because you make it real. You, You make it seem very tangible, which it is. It's just hard. It's hard to actually live in the moment of just existing with, you know, what you have in front of you and around you. And um, I think the most, you know, probably the most relevant uh, to that being present is when you're with a loved one. Do you have the ability to actually be present, love them, exchange energy for energy, words for words, hear? Uh, and acknowledge back and a good conversation and you know oftentimes we're that's really that's really hard sometimes you know when your mind's taken off and what should i do tomorrow and i gotta cut the grass i gotta pay that bill and you know being present is a big deal so i i appreciate that and i i too gratitude's a big piece for me i i I oftentimes i just had a conversation today with a, a first responder up uh way up north uh I said, man, have you tried this? Um, so you need to try this. You need to have this conversation with yourself and with your loved one. Sit down with your wife and practice this gratitude. I guarantee you, I would be shocked if it didn't make your marriage better. Uh, simply because you're actually just engaging in a practice together of being grateful. Uh, you're aligning. So, yeah. yeah, great topic, man. Yeah, and this is the thing I want to leave it on is nobody taught us how to be present. And nobody taught us how to be grateful. That was not in our society for people growing up, right? That does not mean that you can't do it. It just takes a lot of work and a lot of practice. 10,000 hours makes somebody perfect or somebody a uh, master, right? Well, well, and I also think it doesn't mean you can't hustle. I mean, there there is something to be said for just getting out there and working and and working hard. uh, But but that doesn't equate or deserve negative self-talk uh getting out there hustling working and saying hey i got to do this and i got to do all these things doesn't have anything to do with planning that's all that's all different those are different topics yeah 
All right, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Hey, good visit. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.